I love the idea though of the people at Swatch HQ and kind of pagan robes or whatever and somebody's on a telescope looking up waiting for the moon to reach its fullest amount for the night they're like let it begin and then they start all the machines up cloud goes over the moon and they have to stop for a little while cloud goes back over and they commence again like I love that idea I wish it was like that but sadly it's not I hope it's like the machine is in a dungeon and there's like rivers of moonshine gold flowing in between the machines. Well, that's where your $300 watch was made. If they had evidence of that, I'd buy it in the blink of an eye, honestly. Greetings and welcome to this week's A Blog to Watch Weekly. We have no Ariel for he is recovering from jet lag under the good auspices of LVMH Group in France waiting to do his thing. Either that or he is continuing to riot on the streets. We're not sure. I'm not sure how political Ariel is. <laughs> I think he probably is more on the eating cake side than on the storming the Bastille, but that's just my judgment. So we found a replacement. We had to search. We're thinking we need someone who's free, who's available, who's got nothing else to do at this time in the morning when we record. So there was only one person to go to, and that is the world's greatest unemployed watchmaker for Daniel Wellington. P.S. If you're, you know, open parenthesis, if you're looking to get your batteries <laughs> changed, then there is a man available, and that is the watch regulator, Alex. How are you, Alex? I haven't upset you, have I? You're not crying? No, definitely not. It's for Scottish. It's very difficult <laughs> to upset Scottish people. But surely I have to call myself an ex-Daniel Wellington employee now, right? <laughs> an ex-Daniel Wellington. You formerly have done a, an ex-parrot. Some, sort of, some sort of Monty Python sketch. Uh, good stuff. Well... We're obviously also joined by David, who in the past week has been inundated with memberships of clock societies worldwide, as he is well known now as standing up for all things clock. So, David, any clock societies you're particularly looking forward to going to the meetings of? Any clocks? Mm, not yet. Hopefully we'll make it to Hong Kong watching a clock fair and I, I might see some clocks there. But, you know, other than that, nothing. Great stuff. Well, fully packed show and just for Alex, we've made it Swatch Group heavy. <laughs> so there we go. Thank you so much. So he's, he's delighted at that. Uh, if you don't really understand what we're talking about or hinting at, then Alex, where on TikTok? Let's get it out there. First of all, where on TikTok should people go to see the full story? Uh, yeah, just go to the watch regulator on everything. It's on Instagram as well, but it's just basically my story of being um, fired by Swatch Group as their greatest ever artisan watch technician for badmouthing the brand <laughs> on social media, which I've been doing for so many years now. Like it took, it yeah. took their time, but they got there in the end. That's the main thing. Yeah, I mean, it's not a new phenomenon. Let's let's be clear. But uh, we'll see whether that phenomenon can, maybe maybe you'll turn on new leaf now. You know, maybe everything we talk about today with Swatch Group and Omega, you'll just be in love with. Maybe it's like being a barrier. It's been one of these love relationships whereby being so close has just kept you so far away. It'll be a, st it. a story of great reversal and, and, and love for all things uh, Swatch Group. Anyway, we shall see about that. But first up. We're not going to so much talk about watches as watch websites. This is David's fabulous grinding gears. Something I think quite a lot of people are like, yeah, you're dead right. Watches are stupendously difficult to appreciate and find on official brand websites. They are. There, there are, there, there are a few truer statements than just how poor some brand websites are. David, tell us why this is at the front of your agenda for your grinding gears article 
Well, I mean, it's it was long overdue that someone said it, uh, and based on the comments, yeah, at least that's the uh, that's the impression that I'm getting. It's it's just the way it is. I mean, you know, I will give you a perfect example. Yesterday, uh, you know, the day before our recording. Swatch launched the um, speaking of Swatch. There you go. <laughs> it took us like forty-five seconds. Starting early. Yes, uh, <laughs> it launched a new Moon Swatch um, Moonshine Gold Edition. You know, Strawberry Moon of June. This is a, a watch name that has the word Moon in it three times, and they launched it on their Instagram, but nowhere else. The watch was nowhere to be found on Swatch.com, not on the Swatch press site, not on the Swatch group press site. Because you know, at this point, we have to like cunningly find our ways, you know, through these um, websites and all the rest of it to find information, to find find specs, to find uh, images, and all the rest. So, um, you know, even to this day, I mean, a whole day later, the watch is still not uh, presented on the Swatch homepage. So they just launched their most important thing for the last number of months, and it's still not there. It's something else, and even that something else, whatever it is on Swatch.com, it says coming soon. So why would you? How does this even work? And all the rest of it. And so it's uh, uh yeah, it was it it was, I would say it was fun to write, but it was not fun to find images for because I, I was like, where do I even begin? But in the end, I'm I'm quite happy with the illustrations, to be honest. So worst website you came across in the article writing process. I think all of them are bad that you find illustrations for in the article. Um, I, I would I would say that probably among it's so difficult to single one out. I think Casio is ridiculous for having innumerable different websites and microsites for the same watch and the same brands. Uh, I I couldn't tell you how many dozens of different websites they have for G-Shock and Casio and 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 such. And you know, sometimes you find what you're looking for, sometimes it's not there, sometimes it has a price, sometimes it only has one image, sometimes it has eight. So it's it's a little bit all over all over the place. Uh, Uli Snardan, I love that brand, I love the watches, I love the passion of that brand, but their website is just I, I took a screenshot. They they say six things about a watch in uh, their technical specifications, and then that's it. So mechanism, self-winding. Caliber, UN, whatever. Case, steel, stainless steel. Dimensions, diameter 44 millimeters. Strap, leather, glass, sapphire. Boom. That's all you need to know about a $12,000 watch as far as Louis Nardin is concerned. Uh, <laughs> which is quite ridiculous, isn't it? It has a leather strap. You can tell that from the picture. It has a sapphire crystal. <laughs> you would hope so because it costs $12,000. It's stainless steel. Fair enough. Okay. Diameter 44. I mean, is the watch perfectly flat? I'm sure it has a thickness. I'm pretty sure it has a lock-to-lock dimension, you know, stuff like that. And it has a self-winding mechanism, you know, like no specifications in terms of functions or features or accuracy or operating frequency or anything like that. It's uh, ooh, that, that was that was a tough one. Any experience in watch websites, Alex, that has upset or concerned you? Well, it's funny that I was drafted in at the last minute as a what celebrity watchmaker yep. well, i actually had this experience just before you emailed me when i was <laughs> trying to find the price of a rolex submariner and it was on a um ad's website here in australia called kennedy's i don't know if they're elsewhere uh -huh. but it, it took me so i found, googled it 
came up, Rolex and Mariner Kennedy's, went to there to find out the Australian price. And then I had to go through six pages of two-tone date just and lady date just before I actually got to the page with the date Rolex and Mariner on it. And I was like, how is this? Surely most people would just give up at some point. They would get to page six. I just think it's weird. I just want to show me all the watches function. I just want to doom scroll all the things I can't afford through a website, not be overly sold to. It. It's more like watching... You know those flip books where you'd put all the images together in the corner of a notepad and you'd flick them in order to turn <laughs> still images into like a video, you know, really basic, like moving pictures. It kind of feels like that, that it's almost like they just want to show us really nice photos and our scrolling or page turning in order to find the thing we're actually looking for turns the website almost into a video, into some sort of artistic creation. It's really weird, really odd, just how difficult it is to actually look at watches on a website. Now, one of the only websites I will say maybe comes the closest to doing it right is actually Tudor. And I don't know if it's related sort of to the fact that Tudor also appear to right now be the only brand where the watches are in high demand that can launch a watch and have it available the same day in the shops. Unlike, shall we say, Omega, who I don't know when these new ones that they've released this week we'll talk about later in the show are actually available, but normally Omega will tell you about something today and it'll be available maybe for six months or might not come out at all uh, for a good long while. Uh, so Tudor might be the only one that I've looked at recently. I thought that's actually both a pretty website, but also allows you to get to the watches you may be interested in quite quickly. Still doesn't have a just show me all the just show me a, a list of all the watches that I can scroll down. David, I've looked at the worst. Any good examples of watch websites? It's a good example as well. I, I still have a bit of renting to do before we get that. Uh, get to that. <laughs> it's. Uh, I think one of the one of the important things that these websites is that you, you know, you, like you say, you want to go there, you want to doom scroll, you want to find something, a price, a specific watch, or whatever else. And a lot of these websites, including Tech Hoyer, Rolex, and you know, countless others. If you go there and you say you select size, and I want to 42 or a 43 millimeter watch, they will say small, medium, or large. You cannot search by millimeter, like, and they have hundreds of watches. So how dumb do these brands think their customers are that they cannot be trusted by millimeters? Oh, you don't, you don't even know what you want. Like, oh, you couldn't possibly know what 42 millimeters is. We will just allow you to choose large. And let's say you want a specific size, but no, you have. So some of these filters don't work, so maybe you want a 36, but there's a 37, and then a 38, and then a 39, and then a 35, or whatever. And then you end up having to scroll through hundreds of SKUs of watches and sizes you don't want, and you're not interested in, just because these brands don't think you understand, you know, not me or you, but, you know, the average customer, what a millimeter is and how many millimeters they want in their watch. Um, by contrast, Jajair allows, like, a fantastically convoluted breakdown of sizes where <laughs> it, it can be 40 by 20, 40 by 24, 40 by 24.4, 40 by 37, 40.1 by 20, 40.1 by 24.4, which is basically the same as the 40, probably. But, you know, the, the, uh -huh. it's, it's, it's still a little bit, that, that's maybe like too far to the other end of the spectrum, but I respect it nevertheless. So 
these websites function really poorly at featuring and presenting these, these watches, whether it comes to the specifications of the exact watch that you're looking for, or if it comes to uh, somebody looking to find a watch, something that they might like in a specific size. Show me all the references or all the dial options and whatever else in this size. That's what I want. And, and you know, most of these just make it a frustrating experience. And it's been going on for many, many years and I see very little improvement. So I thought, why not just write two and a half thousand words or however many there are here and point these out in the hopes that, you know, watch websites, official ones would be more fun to browse in the near future. The other thing you looked at, which is quite interesting, I guess I hadn't really noticed it, mm. but you know, spot on, it's just how bad watch websites are out of their history. Mm -hmm. Like you're looking for something that they used to have and it's just not there. It just doesn't exist on the website. They've just disposed of it. Yes. Why do you think that is? Like why are Rolex, and Rolex is the one you use, not listing, you know, the ability to see watches that they used to have and just tell you that this is an old watch or it's in the yes. history section um, what, I mean, because it clearly takes work to remove stuff as much as it takes work to actually put the things on the website in the first place yes you'd think a bit of better organization would allow them to keep the history and and you know okay maybe we shouldn't be complaining because it means people come to watch websites and podcasts to learn about this stuff but you think the brands are missing out on not actually having the ability to search for previous models on their own sites. Mm. Yes. I mean, the, the featured image for this article was taken from the Rolex website where I searched for 116500, which is the uh, outgoing Daytona that they discontinued a couple of months ago. And it's no results found. Please enter another search term. That, that's what comes back. So you cannot compare the new one to the old one if you have an old one. And we are talking about a, se a couple of months old watch, potentially. You cannot find any sort of information, not how much it used to cost, not the specifications of the case or the bracelet or the movement or the dials or the dial options. And it makes it really easy for um, dubious sellers and front gun watch producers to, to create watches that you know are basically almost impossible to, um, to cross-reference against a, a manufacturer's website. And of course, I'm not just simply talking about the Daytona, but you know, many of the other watches like this dial and let's say, for example, that they just has had you know, dozens, several dozens of different dials over the course of its, uh, you know, last couple of years only. Uh, so imagine that, you know, did this dial ever come in this, you know, um, combination of metals or, or never? Is this a front gun watch? How do I find it out? It's very, very difficult to do that these days. And I feel like this is obviously done to, to keep the focus at the newest watches that they can, that people can supposedly buy or are actually, you know, just um, driving the revenue for these brands. But again, we are either looking at a hundred year old heritage pieces and boring history from, you know, ages that nobody really cares about and is completely irrelevant or are looking at the latest watches and nothing in between. And, you know, there are hundreds of thousands and actually millions of people out there with a Rolex watch from the last number of years that they can never ever again find on the Rolex website and find any sort of actual factual information on the watch. Alex, how much is this continued inside the brands? I assume brands like Swatch, etc., have internal intranets 
where you go to for for all the information (laughs) i i I, you know to what extent do the brands themselves use this form of communication to like for example tell watchmakers how to do a repair or whatever is it just as badly organized that's a hilarious part about the the internet stuff you're talking about where if you're trying to find a vintage reference which a lot of the time isn't even on there but if you do find it there's like no photographs there's no nothing there's maybe a reference for a a case tube or something but it's yeah i I guess with so many think about how many more models come out all the time for all the big brands though different colors different bracelets different bezels like it must be a lot for them to keep up and i think maybe we're being a bit not mean not that i'm defending the swiss watch industry by any means but um think about brands like Patek they only got on Instagram like a couple of years ago (laughs) like the Swiss watch industry isn't known exactly for being forward when it comes to this kind of stuff so just give them another 20 years and then they'll have their uh, MySpace up and running I'm sure (laughs) they'll be sorry well is there not there's a new there's a new Instagram thing I I think it's possible about today's threads Uh, so we'll see how long it takes uh, the Swiss watch brands to, to get onto threads which sounds like some sort of yuppie website circa 1980s uh, if, if social media had existed in London back in those days before we talk about some watches we've got some news uh, so Ari's not here so it's my turn to go so I was right The for those of you that have been listening to the uh, Argon versus Aragon Space View Stushy, then yes, it does appear that it was nothing to do with David Thune. It is to do with a name similarity claim. But uh, the guys at, uh, well, uh, Guillaume, Nevada Grenchen Vulcan and uh, Argon, I think they have basically renamed the item. It's been removed now from Kickstarter. Uh, and But I think as Ariel had said a couple of weeks ago, the reason it was in Kickstarter was not so much because they needed the money to launch it. It was more because they wanted to use it as a marketing platform. So <laughs> to be fair, it's worked either way. So while I imagine now it needs to be slightly more self-funded to produce the models, they certainly got a shed load of publicity through the thing both being sold to those who found it on that platform and Everybody who's covered it now that it's been removed from that platform. So I'm quite sure that overall, Guillaume is probably quite happy with the result. Uh, Alex, have you seen this watch? I have. There was a lot of kind of buzz around it, um, positive. So people seemed a bit kind of disappointed when all this stuff kind of kicked off. Not really to my taste, but um, yeah, I I did hear and see about it. And there was a lot of buzz and support from the watch community. Yeah, so as it just so happens in a fluke of timing or indeed a masterstroke, Guillaume is actually being interviewed by Ariel this week on Superlative. So if you want to hear more from him, go and check out Superlative. Now it's time for some watches. Let's start in the, the mood and the tone with which I suspect we will continue. And let's look at a little watch that's already been trailed a little bit this week. The Swatch, Moon Swatch, Moonshine Gold, Strawberry Moon of June Watch. So Watch, Swatch, Watch, June Watch. Do do we need to point out to people that this is a watch, David? 
I don't think we do, but we have to say that it is also an Omega, but I couldn't be bothered to put that into the title because it just gets so <laughs> freaking confusing at this point. It's like, it's like, let's just call it a swatch, uh, even though it says Omega on it a number of times. Oh, well. I mean, why? Uh, th- th- this feels like, uh, this feels like uh, Richard at... Uh... Underdog. Underdog. This feels like it should say Omega times swatch times studio underdog. Hmm. Uh, on the dial <laughs> are they just has somebody just lost the plot over at Swatch stroke Omega they're really doubling down on the the thing the moonshine gold thing which got such bad feedback when they first did it <laughs> and there, it is a kind of like the hold my drink and we'll show you how bad it can get now I know David's a nice boy but Richard you'll probably be able to see this a bit a bit more do you think the chronograph hand looks like a strip of acid the chronograph hand looks like a strip i have I, I do not know to what you refer it looks like it looks like a drug thing to me <laughs> right okay I, I have a vague vague understanding of what you're talking about so yes <laughs> there is some some similarity there david are you about to say how you're completely okay with this reference uh, yeah. <laughs> i'm pretty sure it was not inspired by acid let's just put it that way um i think it's just uh, it it might resemble it um but i uh, i'm pretty sure that no one no one in bill was like huh let's <laughs> take the seconds that look like that um it's it's an old one why does it have strawberries on it it has strawberries on it because uh, there's a thing called Strawberry Moon of June, and it occurred on the 3rd of June, and they launched this watch on the 3rd of July, uh, a month later. <laughs> and when I was looking at that, I was like, oh. It's basically called, a, it's a watch that pays tribute to something that occurred a month before its launch, um, which is just so weird. But then, you know, finally I managed to find some more images and there's this little certificate that comes with the watch and it says Mm -hmm. a full moon production certificate. And this is where weird gets weirder. Um, (laughs) The the certificate that comes with the watch says the Omega, Omega is in all caps, the Omega Moonshine Gold Seconds Hand of this bioceramic moon swatch mission to the moon was produced during the strawberry moon of June 2023. And this aligns with the previous Moonshine Gold Edition Moonswatch, where the certificate said that the uh, second hand, the chronograph second hand, was produced during the full moon in February or March or whatever. And so this is so weird because either this is not true and they keep making these hands, or if it is true, it's so it's such an arbitrary sample limitation in terms of production that it's crazy i'm not sure how many of these hands they can stamp out over the course of a night um but you know when people have been mad for over a year year and a half um you know just um, how difficult to source any of these moons which is having for so many people around the world who wanted one to create a limited edition that they say is not limited, they literally say it's not limited, and yet they also certify the fact that they only made it for a single night, is so backwards in so many ways and so anti-consumer that it just boggles the mind. And it's not something that, in my mind, fits Swatch very well. It might fit Harry Winston or Jacques Drew or something like that, but why <laughs> would Swatch need to fire up a machine to work for eight hours or maybe ten and then, you know, pull it out of the wall and then just say, okay, that's it. That's it. We made, 
I don't know how many hands you know Swatch can stamp out. Maybe they can stamp out a hundred thousand, but I doubt it. And even if it did, there's no explanation coming from the brand whatsoever. It's just we made this for a night. Do you like it? And I'm like, no, I don't like the way that it looks. I don't like the entire concept. And it's just overall something that is not very consumer oriented. It's just like, we're not really sure about this. And it, but let's, so we make it limited. And this is something that brands do all the time. If you look at one of their, you know, some of their more risque designs, and you know, we are in the scenes whenever we chat with like, you know, CEOs or, you know, leaders of these companies, managers of these companies, they, you know, sometimes they admit to making stuff limited just because they're not really sure and they want to make it more appealing. And, uh, you know, since they are not very sure, they don't really want to like stockpile a huge uh, quantity of these watches and then have them sit around for a long time. Although, again, to be fair, this watch, you take off the second hand and it's just a mission to the moon. Nothing else is changed. You just put it in a different box, or maybe the box is even the same. You just put in a different certificate, you know, put it in a different hand, and you still have a mission to the moon, and you can sell as many of these as you want. So it's just it's just such a weird release on so many fronts. But you know, if you like strawberries on top of gold, which is a weird taste, a developed one for sure, then this is the watch for you at three hundred dollars. I love the idea though of the people at Swatch HQ and kind of pagan robes or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Ray Ray's there, Papa Hayek, and somebody's on a telescope looking up, waiting for the moon to reach its fullest amount for the night. They're like, let it begin. And then they start all the machines up. And then oh, immediately once a cloud uh, yeah, yeah, a cloud goes over the moon and they have to stop for a little while. Cloud goes back over, they commence again, and there's some kind of animal sacrifice at the end. Like I love that idea. I wish it was like that, but sadly yeah. it's not. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Uh, you know, kind of some sort of Indiana Jones pastiche yes. at the end of uh, Temple Let of it Doom. Begin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Somebody's reaching in and wrenching a live beating heart out of the chest of a watchmaker. Maybe that They're was, all feeding maybe, each other strawberries. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe you got out early, Alex, and it saved you from being immolated. I hope I missed the I, strawberry orgy. Yeah. I hope it's like the machine is in a dungeon and there's like a rivers of moonshine gold flowing in between the machines. Oh uh, <laughs> yeah. It's like something from Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Well, that's where your three hundred dollar watch was made. In a dungeon <laughs> next to rivers of moonshine one. gold. Yeah. Now you're if, that, if they had evidence of that, I'd buy it in the blink of an eye, honestly. <laughs> What I find really weird about this is that every moon, as far as I'm aware, has a name to it. Yes. So, for example, the one that's just happened is the Buck Moon. Mm-hmm. So, I want to know whether, like, the one that they're going to produce in 30 days time is going to have, like, pictures of little bottoms on it or something. It's like, here's our Buck Moon. But, you know, February's a snow moon. March is the Worm Moon. Mm. So it's almost like, and and there are some good ones. So like April is the pink moon. So they could have produced a pink gold. That would be fun. It's it's like they're in, it's like they're finding out about this stuff as they go along. Mm. It's like right, okay, we're gonna we're gonna do this, and we're gonna make it the night of a full moon, and then like three or four months later, someone goes, you realize that these moons have good names. We could we could do a strawberry moon. Mm. The one I'm particularly keen on is uh, there's one later in the year uh, in August called the Sturgeon Moon. So I'm wondering for all the Scottish people whether we're going to have little Nicholas on the 
or, 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 or on the behind bars. <laughs> little camper van. This is a really Scottish joke, but little camper vans mm-hmm. on, on Nobody the knows what we're hand. talking about now. <laughs> Nobody's yeah. got a clue. There you go. There's a bit of Scottish politics for you on a blog to watch weekly. And they would they would sell five of them. <laughs> <No. laughs> but I mean, you've got th- yeah. It's it's really weird. Anyway, it's uh, yeah. Go check out if you're into Moonswatch. Maybe you can pop across one of these. I haven't I haven't actually been brave enough to check the comment section of a blog to watch uh, for this, but I can imagine uh, what it's like. But we'll leave that there. It's not kind, let's put it that way. (laughs) Hi, I'm Ariel Adams, founder of a blog to watch with a message from eBay, a platform I probably use daily. Make sure your watches are the real deal with eBay Authenticity Guarantee. I believe it's the first and best service of its kind that protects your luxury purchases and checks each watch individually at eBay's highly reputable authentication partner, Stolen Company, in the United States. From band to bezel, their authenticators ensure each wristwatch matches the eBay listing and is the real deal. Authenticity guarantee is also very fast. Once authentication is complete, your watch is securely delivered via rapid two-day shipping. Surprisingly, eBay's authenticity guarantee service is free for all watches priced $2,000 and up. No one should buy a luxury item without an authenticity guarantee. Do what I do and check eBay before each watch purchase because everyone deserves real. Right, next up, let's uh, take it, let's take it away from Swatch Group before we return to them. Let's look at Tudor, Tudor Pelagos. Uh, David, you got to review this on the launch day, Tudor Pelagos FH, FXD. Yes. Is it just me or was this, this, I I thought this was quite a quiet launch, Mm. considering (laughs) it's a Pelagos chronograph we've got, and that's quite a big thing. Yes. It just, it feels it feels like this is a really big story that they've launched. Is it a limited edition? No, it's not. It's going to be limited in production for sure. So it's not like they will, you uh-huh. know, be stamping these out until you know, um, eternity. But you know, for sure, it's going to be available. Mm-hmm. I just felt a bit of an odd release. Here's this big story. We've done something new with the Pelagos, but it's all wrapped up in the whole Red Bull Alingi racing thing. Mm-hmm. As opposed to just being, here's something new from Tudor, and then, by the way, here's a special edition. Because I can imagine some folk being put off by the whole sponsorship thing. Some people don't like their watches that mention anything, any co-branding. I would be one of them, although I think this is actually subtle enough and relational enough like it is you can understand the the sponsorship unlike the previous Alingi chronograph which if I remember correctly was a speedmaster with great 50 meter worth of water resistance for a yacht racing chronograph so this is a slight improvement at least on that uh thoughts on the watch in general though David yeah you know I, I like on a personal note I love a, a dive watch that's a chronograph as well I think it's just mm. such a good look uh, this one is interesting, but it's it's very balanced. I mean, there's a lot going on with all these markers on the uh, on the dive bezel, and it's blue and it's red, and it has these big hour uh, markers. I think it's 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 a strong eight out of ten um, in in terms of design. I really miss this this the three, six, and nine o'clock hour markers. You know, the rest of them are these big block um, super luminova uh, indices that are carved out of 
these monoblock um, pieces of loom. They look great. But then you look at the rest of the wedge and you feel like, oh, but something is missing. So how can you not have at least like a little rectangle or something like that uh, at these various locations, you know, because these are kind of important. Um, so that is the only thing that looks off to me. Um, I like that the subdials at three and nine are large. And you know, of course, they, don't, they have not left too much room for these big block um, square hour markers that we see elsewhere on the watch, but still, I think it's it's cool. It's actually the case material that is very interesting because it's a first um, for Tudor and it's in a matte black carbon composite for the case and the bezel insert. Um, the bezel itself, as well as the pushers and the case back, are um, in titanium. I take that back because the case back is actually uh, in uh, stainless steel. So it's a mix of materials. It's carbon, it's titanium, and it's uh, stainless steel. And I like that. I like it when a lot of engineering goes into a watch and they uh, make sure that these uh, different uh, materials work together well. There's a, there are a lot of uh, factors that you have to take into consideration. And I think what, what is important to know, and I say this in the article too, is that Tudor still offers the cheapest way to have a B01 in your watch. Uh, I just went on the Breitling website and I, I believe that the cheapest B01 Breitling as $8,000 and that's the top time. Speaking of bad watch websites, I typed in at breitling.com B01 and it found me exactly zero watches. Zero for B01, <laughs> their flagship movement. It, and if you, if you look at all watches, it brings out 300 watches, literally 300 of them, and you can filter for all kinds of different things, but not the movement, not even the functionality. You cannot filter for chronographs at brightlink.com. Okay, rent over. And, and it looks like it's eight grand, just, 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 just for the record. And for the chronograph from um, Tudor, it's 5,075. So it's basically uh -huh. three grand less for one of the best chronograph movements out there. Well, we know that at least one very senior person in Brightling listens to this show, so maybe maybe Sylvan will go and do something about that for us. Maybe. <laughs> uh, quick question, is the chronograph bigger than the three-hander? It looks like a larger watch. I don't think it is, no. And what's that size? Is that 42, 43? Or are they, they dinky? In fact, I should go to the Tudor website, seeing as I said it was such a good website and see what it says. So let's try this out. How easy is it to find out the dimensions of this watch? So actually, so the chronograph is a 43 mil. That didn't take long to do. And the three-hander is... Is a 42. Is 42. Yes. So 42. So decent sizes. I do like that chronograph. The more that I'm looking at it, the more I actually actually quite uh, like it. And the, as you say, the price is decent for what it is. Yes. I mean... Goodness sake, am I sitting here thinking that four grand's decent to spend on any watch, but it is uh, unfortunately the reality of it. Alex, Tudor thoughts? Uh, I just want to say, first of all, um, hi to Sylvan. Big fan of you on the show. Big fan <laughs> of the brand. Any jobs going, mate? Just let me know. Reach out. Um, this is a great looking. I think the I think there is if Breitling ever wanted to launch their own podcast, Sylvan, listen. Then I think you and Alex doing the Breitling dedicated podcast would be a, a work of art to behold. And I have said to you before, Richard, before I was yes, uh, fired for very good reason, I, yep, yep. I have said that I actually like him for someone who speaks 
for yes. for the brand and also for watch enthusiasts. So that I'll I'll stop licking now. I can confirm to you, Sylvan, that Alex was sucking up to you long before he actually <laughs> needed to suck up to you for a job. So there we go. But uh, I think that'd okay. be a great show. That'd be a great show. So anyway, go on. This is a great looking watch, no doubt about it. I guess the case material, which I have concerns about, just from mainly doing my own hit podcast, Robin Regulator, with my friend's retired AP watchmaker, Rob, where he talks about carbon fiber cases and them kind of deteriorating over time. And I know I remember the last one that we covered was a Bamford carbon fiber watch. And even from the press release photographs, it looked like it needed head and shoulders anti-dandruff shampoo because it was already kind of falling apart in the in the photographs. So I'm just, from my communication with other watchmakers, I'm not entirely convinced of carbon fiber for an everyday watch, but still this watch is, is a gorgeous watch. And I know Alinghi before, were they with AP as well? Before they were with Omega, they really do the rounds when it comes to... To, yeah, uh, sponsorship deals. I think they've done a few. I don't really understand why everybody cares. Like, uh, obviously, the yacht racing set, of which I am not one, clearly think that this is a great brand, a lingy, but uh, to be honest, I don't know a great deal about them. But yes, they have certainly shopped around for their watch brands in the past. As I say, I think the last one I recall was Omega, was a Speedmaster sailing watch, which is just about as clever as a strawberry based moon swatch to be honest uh david any final thoughts on this before we move on is this a yeah is it, it was an eight out of ten is it a sign of things to come do we think there'll be a non like is the next move clearly a non-alingy racing tudor chronograph and how long do we need to wait for that for sure it's going to come i don't think it it would be it would take longer than before the end of the year for a new for a new model to come out at the latest watches and wonders next year at the very latest um i think you know it's what's weird is that the tudor uh, pelagos fxd uh they launched it in 2021 uh for the uh marina Sionel. um they they also had this fixed um, bar lock design, which means that you cannot fit a regular strap on a spring bar, uh, but instead you have to have these uh, fabric straps that you have to like loop through the case, and it's just it's just annoying because you know this watch would look so so great on so many different straps, but it's impossible, literally impossible to fit any of them. So if you get one of these, just keep in mind that it's going to be you know maybe some Zulu or NATO straps and. Uh, yeah, definitely NATO straps and uh, and the factory supplied, um, which are quite cool actually. These woven jacquard uh, woven straps that you can fit, but nothing else. I think this would be bonkers cool on a carbon bracelet or something like that. I'm not sure if Tudor can do that, but if they can, that would be amazing. Okay, drum roll. Ah, Omega launches 11 new Seamaster Summer Blue watches. We kind of trailed it last week. David, you were sitting eagerly by your computer waiting for these to drop. Yes. Uh, you had got the time wrong, so you were waiting for substantially longer than you expected. Good to see a watch journalist also duffing up the time-telling, the, the basics of, you know, watches. <laughs> uh, but when they released, were you overall impressed Last week you said there was, a, I think you said it was like an 80% chance of this being a sigh of a release, uh, whatever came. So did it meet expectation or did it exceed expectation? 
why I think the, the uh, it's it's such huge release in the sense that it's eleven or twelve references across, um, you know, seven I believe seven uh, different collections, which is a lot. I think you know, you know my guys put a lot of effort into this in the sense that it's it's a lot of different watches all to come out for the seventh and fifth anniversary. Um, it's good to see that all of them have received this uh, summer blue treatment, but on the flip side, you know, you know, many people have complained, and I tend to agree with them, that you know, the collect many of these watches or these sub collections in the Seamaster uh, range, um, you know, would have benefited from some technical updates. A lot of them are still very thick, uh, so they are not too comfortable to wear. And you know what better if not you know what more of a reason than a seventy fifth anniversary would Omega need to refresh some of these? I think it, that's a very fair assessment. And when looking at these, when I was writing the article, I was already thinking to myself that it's cool to have new colors, but you know new colors uh, we are used to seeing for every every summer. Basically, it's not for a big anniversary. Um, a cool little trait um, is that. Um, you know, we go from the Aquaterra that is water resistant to 150 meters to the um, 6,000 meter um, or whatever it's called, um, ultra deep. <laughs> and the uh, as we go across this range, the uh, dials in blue get darker. So the higher the water resistance, the darker the dial. Uh, which is, again, I think that's a cool little trait. You have to have all the watches next to each other to be able to fully appreciate this. But it's it's a thoughtful little detail that I can appreciate. Alex, it's the opinion everyone's wanting to hear. <laughs> that's what they tuned um, in for. Surely the legibility should get better the, the deeper you go. And it just, <laughs> the dials get so dark. I do think that's a nice, a nice, a nice touch, to be honest. I also like the... Um, the thing where it's got the Omega was here at yeah. the the darkest the the sorry on the darkest dial of the the ultra deep. I think that's uh-huh. that's nice. I'm not sure how it's activated, but they could also have a made in China thing that pops up as well at the same time. <laughs> That'd be good. <laughs> I, I I understand the kind of let's make them light to dark depending on how deep it is. I get that. But that only works if you see all 11 of them together. But you know, at a glance, though, when you see someone on the street, you know how deep they can go <laughs> how, just how, by... How yeah. low they can go. They can go really deep. I, so I think it's a bit... It, it works as a collection, but it doesn't work individually because to appreciate it, you have to be able to relate it to, like, the one that's only got 50 metres water resistance or 100 metres when you separate from the rest of the collection, it's just a dark blue watch or a light blue watch or a kind of medium blue watch. It doesn't relate. So I, I kind of, I understand what they're doing. At least they've used a 75th anniversary. They've not chosen some random, this is our 77th and a half anniversary to do this. I am not sure I appreciate the reduction in size of the planet ocean. A planet ocean should not be 39 and a half millimetres. <laughs> That's just, if you want something, a watch, a dive watch that's 39.5 millimeters, you go for the Seamaster, you go for the Bond watch. You don't go for a Planet Ocean. Planet Ocean is supposed to be a big boy. I don't know what they're doing, producing it at 39.5. Uh, the Pro, the Plo, well, however you pronounce it, the Pro, oh, the, funny, the funny looking one, I think is, I've always thought it's a really cool watch. Again, they've tweaked the size of that, but then they've not tweaked the size of the 
the the deepest sea or no that's Rolex's one whatever this is the the one that's got as you say the loom on it that lights up when you're in the you know when you're in your bedroom looking to see just how deep you could go at 10,935 meters the ultra deep so it's a bit weird they are very nice like they all do look lovely individually but I'm not sure the story holds together quite as well as Omega think it does. I think it holds together as a nice presentation package. And no doubt somebody is going out and buying a box set, hmm. which has just got all of these. You know, that's the baller move. The baller move is you, you, you're you, a rich dude, a rich girl, and you just go and you, you buy the set. And that would be pretty cool. But uh, Obviously, and- some thoughts gone into it, though. I mean, if we put this next to the strawberry... <laughs> and when swatch, I mean, this is a huge win in kind of out, outside the box thinking when compared to those two things. So I think as a presentation, like you said, if somebody was doing a PowerPoint on this, I think it, I think it sells. But like you say, when it comes down to individual people buying the watch, although if you go into the boutique and they've got everything side by side and yes. you're presenting the collection to a customer and uh-huh. saying where do you want to be how deep do you want to go i don't know it could it could be effective who sang how deep is your love the bgs you want bg move bg <laughs> music playing in the background of your omega boutique as they take as they take you into the dungeon previously Order reserved Day. for sacrificing to moonshine gold creation of <laughs> hands or whatever bobbins and you take into dungeon with how deep is your love playing and there's this dark corner uh under like uv light and it shows all the funny things in these watches and they ask you how deep do you want to go and then they try and flog your <laughs> flog your watch on credit uh yeah so favorite one of them all david do you have a do you have a favorite yeah, it's it's gonna be this uh, this three hundred for sure. Uh, that's that's the one that I really like. Um, actually, both the three hundred and three hundred M. I would I would take either of those uh, very happily, even though they are still a bit thick. I think that they look they look pretty cool. Alex, favorite one of the slot? I'm such a Ploprov fan. I do prefer the kind of OG yeah. Ploprov, but it's still in terms of a standout dive watch and tool watch i still think it takes a lot a lot of beating mm. on the basis that i that is my favorite watch but i can't say the name properly i'm going to choose the gmt world timer also because Ali was not here <laughs> just because you can say that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so i'll go i'll go for that one it's very rare in the a blog to watch team group chat that actually there's a lot of watch talk. It's not a particularly busy group chat. This stuff goes back and forth, but occasionally there's a release that comes out that actually makes it onto the did you see this in the group <laughs> chat. And one, one such watch as this that appeared this week it was from Carl F. Bucherer, the Heritage Chronometer Celebration Watches. And I think, David, you were chief of the stunners in posting about this watch and comparing it to several things that shall we say are significantly cheaper yes what do you know this is 135th anniversary i'm sorry 135 is not an anniversary of anything other than 135 years it's not an anniversary to be celebrated but to celebrate Mm. carly booker's 135th anniversary they've released a quartet of limited edition watches inspired by a model from the 1960s david give us the 
background in this and your thoughts on this? Well, it's 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 an odd release in the sense that you know these are these start at five thousand nine hundred US dollars, which is almost exactly ten times that of the um, of the Mido Commander uh, nineteen fifty nine. Uh, to be fair, and you know basically what what Karlef Bucher is saying is that they used to make Bucher used to sell a watch. Um, under its brand um, some 60 years ago that looked like this and you know that might have been true because if we look back at the 50s and 60s many many brands even some of the biggest ones today sold a watch that somebody else had already have you know we're, we're already selling at that time so there were a lot of very similar looking watches from different brands because they all relied on uh, similar suppliers because there was no internet to make them easily comparable. So if somebody had, uh, you know, somebody had discovered um, an appealing design that was selling, you know, by the bucket loads and, you know, maybe they were, they had a strong presence, you know, in Europe or maybe in Asia or wherever else. Maybe some other brand that had a strong presence in, in America would take that design, go to the supplier, say, you know, I like this design, I want this and I'm going to sell it. Uh, in America because hopefully it will work and it worked and so there are multiple different reasons historically and technically why so many brands ended up making very similar looking watches same movement same um, same movement supplier or same Bosch at least um, you know same case supplier all the rest of it it was not as vertically integrated um, you know as uh, it is so frequently today and so Carla Fucher has every right to go back and say here's a watch we made and we make it again it just happens to look like a Mido because it, that is on sale today because Mido used to sell a watch like this back in 1959 as well. Guess what? Well, people will care about the price and the value proposition uh, uh, nevertheless. And uh, you know, of course, the uh, the Carlos Bucher at $19,900 is in solid gold, whereas the Mido at $600 will be coated or $800 will be coated. But still, there's a, there's a profound pricing difference for a watch that looks... Uh, really rather similar and kind of they say that the movement inside is the cfb um 1965.1 and i did some research and i couldn't find anything about it but it has 25 jewels and 42 hours of power reserves uh, you know so you can guess that it's probably based on a solita or an or an or a netto base caliber so you're spending that yeah. much for, you know, a basis in that. Would Karlev Booker have been better releasing this as like a 65th or 70th or 60th anniversary celebration of the original mm. rather than a 135th anniversary celebration of the brand, which yes. is more appealing? Yes, but, but, but these brands sit down and they say, okay, you know, there are certain markets in which it's incredibly important to have a very old date on the watch. And if you, you know, especially in Asia, uh, I've heard this from many, many brands. And if you look at these watches, it says Carlet Bucher Lucerne 1888 on the dial. And it says 1888 on the case back in huge letters. And to say, oh, we are 135 years old, that matters to many customers out there. And when I looked at this watch and I looked at the pricing, I like Carlos Bucher. I've been to the manufacturer. I, I saw that they have very keen attention to detail and very high uh, quality control, um, which is, you know, to my eyes, I was, I was very surprised by because that, that was one of the standouts when I was visiting them. And they have some cool pieces like the um, Heritage Bicompacts that was selling really well for them. And that was a very cool looking watch. And now this, 
I look at this and I feel like this is basically for the tourists that visit a ski resort somewhere in Switzerland and they stumble upon this store where they sell these watches and it ticks the boxes because it's it's in, um, it's expensive, it's 135 years old, it looks kind of cool and it's made in Switzerland, boom, okay, six grand or maybe even 20 yeah. because it's solid gold. So yeah. this is not definitely not aimed at the watch connoisseurs among us. It's more of a, uh, a touristy uh, thing for sure. Well, Alex, I don't know if you'll get this reference. We'll see how much of Scotland still remains in your uh, current cultural mix. But there's a certain demographic in Glasgow that will not be buying this watch because it has 1888 <laughs> on the back of it. I do get that. You do get that. That's good. That's good. I'm glad. Uh, and the 14 other Scottish people that listen to this will get it as well. <laughs> uh, what do we think, Carl F. Bucherer? Have you, is that a brand you come across much in Australia? Uh, not in Australia, but just... I guess, communicating with other watch collectors on, on the internet. I've always heard great things about their customer service and the way they treat their, their clients. Right. Um, I think it's strange that, I mean, the Mido Commander, it's not exactly a tremendously well-known watch, but it's everyone has just immediately realized that this looks exactly like the Mido Commander. Well, not everyone. And I, think I in, did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, me too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think... Um, the, just the look of it, even in the press photographs, it doesn't look very impressive. It looks like a much cheaper watch than it than it is. It looks like it should be in the same kind of price bracket as the Mido Commander. Yeah, it's just a, a strange one. I think, again, it speaks for how watch brands keep themselves insulated from what else is actually going on in mm. the watch world, that they would think this is a a good idea and that nobody raised a hand in a meeting to say that this bears a striking resemblance to a much, much cheaper watch and doesn't actually add anything uh, much more to the consumer if they're going to buy this versus the, the Mido one. Which is which is weird because if, if you look at the Monero flyback, for example, which is a Kalev Kuhar staple, that is very much its own thing. And it's a fantastic looking watch. So it's not like Kalev Kuhar didn't know how to design a good looking watch because they have done that at least a few times over the last number of years. So, you know, why launch the samey, samey kind of watch, like you say, that looks, that has a striking resemblance is, uh, is an old one for sure. Yeah. Cool. Good stuff. I'll go check it out on a blog to watch.com. Okay, we're going to try something a bit new. There's been a lot of watches released in the last couple of weeks. <sighs> I don't think the quality has been that great in terms of, I don't think there's been any particular showstoppers elsewhere. There's just been a lot of content. So we thought we would try and do a quick run through, get some pithy one-line reviews in there and play an old game I used to play many moons ago in a former lifetime, Hit Miss Maybe. So I have sent the gentleman notes of every other watch that we have covered on the website. And we're going to quickly... Name the watch, then you gentlemen are going to give me a one line, one word, a short sentence review and tell me, is it a hit, is it a miss, or is it a maybe? So open up your browsers and get ready. Here we go. Okay, the Holgar Blue and Gold Sport Automatic 44mm. David, hit, miss, maybe. Mm, maybe. I like a watch with quirky designs um, and design traits, and this one appears to have at least some of that. And I can respect it for that reason. It could be fun to wear. Alex. Maybe. Interesting design. Looks cheap, but actually is cheap. For me, I think it's a miss. I think what 
David and Alex said is all true, but I think that leans it into the miss category for me rather than the hit. Okay, the Forstner Pilot Watch reference F6B-346 reinterprets a military classic, but does it do it successfully? Alex, hit miss maybe. Again, another maybe. Kind of done to death design. If you can't afford an IWC, probably could be a good shout though. David. Maybe. Uh, I really like the dial design. I really like that someone's paying tribute to this kind of layout. I fear that it would not be too comfortable because of this weird um, folded bracelet and the thickness of the case. Okay, for me, it's a miss. It's far too small. You can't wait. It's not a proper watch if it's that size. For goodness sake, get a grip of yourselves. Go and buy a bigger watch. <laughs> okay, new release. The third generation Monta ocean king dive watch hit miss maybe david i think it's a hit it's uh it's nicely proportioned it looks well made and it doesn't appear to be too large uh because it's like 40 millimeters 40.7 millimeters uh, yeah i would i would love to try this although it's although it's a bit der- derivative I will, I will have to add yeah miss for me quality looks there but it's just too reminiscent of a hundred other different watches that there's no kind of um, distinct design language there that would actually get me interested in it. Uh, maybe for me, it does look like it's a quality watch, but uh, yeah, it doesn't have anything that distinguishes it from the pack of everything else that looks like this, in particular, obviously, the Rolex Submariner. If they just managed to ping something a little bit quirky about it, it would have leaned into the hit. Okay, new release H Motion C Streamliner Flyback Chronograph Automatic Boutique Edition. I can't remember who we asked first last time, but we'll ask David first this time. David, hit miss maybe. <laughs> I think it's it. It looks fantastic. Really cool movement. I really like that the way that they've used the green and the red holding the red seconds hand. Nice colorway too. I would wear this. Alex. Maybe. The movement's obviously a, a belter, as we say in Scotland. But I don't know, with each iteration of this watch, it just leaves me a bit more sleepy each time. Okay, it's a hit. It's clearly a hit. It's a Moser. It's a company. It's run by the coolest guy in the watch industry. (laughs) Everything's a hit that they produce at Moser. Obviously, it's a hit. Okay, hands-on debut Panerai Submersible S Browbus E Titanio Pam 01403 watch. Alex, (laughs) hit miss maybe. (laughs) Did I ask? Uh, Missed on that, I'm afraid. Yeah, well, far too much stuff going on, but kind of, I don't know. Good on you guys for trying something that shouldn't have been tried. <laughs> David? As much as I like a watch that has a lot going on, this is a socks and pants watch, and that vibe is killing it for me, so it's a miss. It's a socks and pants watch? What does that mean? It's like when you try and exaggerate the what what you have in your pants, basically. It's like a compensatory <laughs> thing. Sock, uh, socks in pants as opposed to socks and pants. No, right, okay. socks in pants, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that should be your new definition. Hit, miss, maybe, or socks and pants. Yes. Okay, I, I, I was going to say hit just because it's a pan ride. Obviously, I'm the... The, the paderisti here, but because of that new definition, I'm going to say this is officially a socks and pants watch. Okay, Gerald Genta, uh, happy birthday Mickey Mouse minute repeater for only watch 2023. 
We're not going to cover a lot of Only Watch this week, but we thought we'd cover this one. We'll get into all the details later on in a different show. But what do you think of this one, Alex? Another, I'm hard to please today. This is another maybe for me. Obviously, again, the movement looks great. Love the case design, but just, I don't know, Mickey Mouse gives me the creeps. So it's just a maybe for me. If they did it with a different dial, it could be a hit. David? Um, Yeah, this is a creepy watch. It's a miss. Yeah, any watch of Mickey Mouse in, don't get it. Sorry, miss from me as well. Hands on, Carl Sushi and Zona Belvedere watch. Hit, miss, maybe, David? Oh, it's a hit. I think it's a fantastic design. Um, Yeah, I like it very much. Alex? This is a hit for me as well. The, it's enough of an interesting design. It looks like there's enough quality there for the money. So, yeah, it's a hit. Yeah, this is cool. I uh, love the placement of the window in the watch. That's epic. Uh, yeah, it just looks dead funky. Six grand, six and a half grand. Very well finished. Yeah, absolutely. 100% a hit. Uh, Zenith Defy Extreme Carbon. What do we think of Zenith and Carbon, Alex? This is a miss for me. Again, I already said what I think about Carbon watches. It's just another hublo homage from zenith i'm afraid zenith does hublo david hit miss maybe it is very hublo-esque um but as a watch i love it so you know i i I would wear this um so it's a hit for me especially with the one 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 hundredth of a second chronograph with all the colors going on with the nicely integrated rubber strap um they have really cool hands um you know power reserve it's a high frequency movement I, I absolutely love it. It's a shame about the tribute to the to the luck structure of a new blow. Uh, but hey, it's a sister brand. I'm all for collaborations. Uh, maybe if they would own that, that would be even cooler. But, you know, I like it as it is. Yeah, hit for me, completely illegible as a watch, but really, really cool. So on Ariel's last week tool function, it scores a zero. But on the beauty, it, it's excellent. Love the color variation. The completely pointless one one hundredth of a second counter, mm. which you simply can't start. You know, like human beings can are not that accurate for it to be worthy of anything other than complete pointlessness. But it's great, love it. Hit for me. Oris Diver sixty five cotton candy watches in stainless steel. David, I think it's a great looking summer's watch. Yeah, I like it very much. Like the colors, I like the uh, the um, the way that they've matched the the strap colors. Apparently, I mean, I would have to see it in person. But yeah, I, I like these. Alex, this is a big hit for me. I actually prefer mm. this to the bronze one. I would spend more money on this. If Oris could get back to me about a job, can everyone go and message Peter Borkhouse, the Oris MD <laughs> in Australia, cut fingers on Instagram. And I would definitely pick this as my wear watch if they employed me for sure. There seems to be a suggestion here that you may be bending your opinion in order to suit your financial no, status. No, no, no. I, I've always liked the um, Oris Diver 65. I like the bronze one as well, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't have bought it just because I don't know. I don't think bronze is that wearable day to day. But I think this is really, really good looking. I think the colors of the dial actually make the steel pop even more. Cool. This is a hit, but only for one day, which coordinates with Scottish summer because this is a summer watch and it's a miss for the rest of the year. Uh, So no use in Scotland. The non-official X Solly Hulls limited edition. Alex, you ever come across a watch dedicated to Solly Hull? (laughs) I'd forgotten Solly Hull was a place. This is a, a, a maybe for me. I mean, white watches are normally a big 
no, no, but actually the dial and hands look good. <coughs> and I, I think as well that brands that you haven't heard of maybe shouldn't be allowed to do limited editions until you know who they are. So, yeah, a bit of a strange one. David? I absolutely love the crisp white case with the orange dial and the orange strap. That is huge. The blatant copying of a Nautilus case, not so much. I'm not sure I could justify that, but I think it's the rest of the watch falls so so far away from, from a Nautilus that you know no one could ever say that you're uh, trying to wear a fake or something like that. I absolutely love the white and the orange combination. So you know what? It's a hit for me. I love this absolutely huge hit. The ridiculousness of having Solihull on a dial that is bright yellow and you know popping and all the rest of it in comparison to Solihull. Sorry to all our Solihull listeners, but think if you're in America, think like the center of Detroit or something or Michigan or you know. So yeah, I I don't get the relation between the thing it's celebrating and what the watch actually looks like, but it's a cool looking watch. So absolutely a hit for me. And finally, Nevada Grenchen X Analog Shift Chronomaster Big Eye Yachting. The guys at Nevada Grenchen have had a bit of a week with everything that's been going on with the Argon watch. But what do we think about this, David? I absolutely love it. It's, uh, you know, that little dash of blue and yellow um, on the uh, sub-dial at 3 o'clock is fantastic. It doesn't appear to be very carefully color matched to the orange hand, but it, 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 they are so far off that I will, I will consider this to be, uh, to be intentional. It's a very weird watch because it's asymmetrical uh, on the dial. It's, it's just a wonky design that works, and I, I feel like those are so difficult to get right. And I respect them hugely. So yeah, this is an absolute hit for me at uh, $2,000. Okay, now just before I get Alex to give you that, I have just had Mr. Ariel Adams pop up in my, can you let me in the room? So let's let Ariel in for literally the last 40 seconds of the show. Let's see if he's there. Ariel is connecting. His audio is connecting. Let's see. Does this mean I have to leave now when he comes in? Is this a tag? (laughs) He tags me out. Ariel. Ariel has just tagged into the show. We're literally in the last 40 seconds of recording. So Ariel, completely blindly, one sentence review, hit miss maybe on the Nevada Grenchen Analog Shift Chronomaster Big Eye Yachting. Yeah, I thought we already established we don't like uh, dual branding on dials. (laughs) (laughs) He's literally just dialed into the room and already is in full flow. Yeah. um, So does that make it a miss? I don't, look, I mean, I think it's a hit because those people at Analog Shift at, you know, Watches of Switzerland, you know, James Landon, they can push it. So these are going to people that are going to say, oh, this is so cool. This is so special. So it's a win for Nevada because there's a promoter. There's, there's individual people who will go ahead and push it. So the watch doesn't really need a lot of independent value. It's, you know, sort of cool looking. It's got that vintage vibe. It's exactly what sort of Analog Shift wants. And it proves to the customer that they work with that, you know, they have the special relationship with Nevada. So, and again, it's it's a win from a commercial perspective. But for us as watch lovers, again, I don't think like our main interest is having, you know, uh, store names um, on, on the dials. Uh, I, you know, maybe it's on the back. I, I like that they're doing unique things. But I, when I see these sort of like dual branded things with these like multiple logos on the dial, I see it as like, a, a, like an ego party. Like there's, there's too many big personalities in the room and like somebody needs to leave. Like it's, it's too much. 
And Alex, give us your final on this. You'll notice that Ariel's been on to talk about one watch. We've managed to do like 17, and Ariel's <laughs> taken up the same amount of time for just one. <laughs> it's normally me that does that. Um, Vintage-inspired watches always make me want to go and find what the original one was. So uh-huh. I'll give this one a maybe. Mm-hmm. If you can't find the original or afford the original one it's based on, I think this is a good-looking watch and it's good value for the money. Cool. Well, I was going to say that was the end of the show, but I see seeing as he's just appeared on the screen and he has just dropped a hands-on review of the Constantine Chaikin Minions Titanium Watch on the site that will give Ariel the final say as a hit-miss maybe on a watch that he has just reviewed. So Constantine Chaikin Minions Titanium Watch, Ariel, one sentence, hit-miss maybe? I think Constantine Chaikin has hit upon something amazing with his now Wristmons collection. This began with a Joker, and I think the popularity of it was somewhat surprising to him, but now looking back on it, he gets it. Affordable complication, looks interesting, high level of art, high level of friendliness, um, and Wristmons has been this the large collection of these you know, face-inspired timepieces, and the creativity is fantastic. Um, this is about two years after the original Minions watch, and this one's very, very similar, and there's just some small tweaks and things like that. Um, so what you're seeing is is that the popularity of these watches is pushing them to um, increase production beyond the very small limited productions. These are starting to be, you know, have their own um, fans and things like that. So from a commercial perspective, I think this makes a lot of sense. These are very fun to wear. They're getting very, very expensive. And I think that's the thing which is difficult for me. I know that Konstantin Chaikin is doing a lot in his business. He's moving a lot of his operations over to Switzerland. So there's a lot of exciting things happening over there. Um, but the, 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 the price of entry, so to say, uh, into the brand right now is quite high. I do like the fact that Ariel's just trying to get his room by speaking at twice the speed that he normally speaks in order to get into the, the same space. You're not space. getting any less information. You're just getting it, getting it at twice the speed. <laughs> so if you want to go return and slow the playing speed down for this bit, then uh, go ahead and listen to Ariel's review. So I'm taking a hit from Ariel. <laughs> You'll learn to play this game eventually. Uh, David, hit this maybe. I would say it. I, I absolutely love uh, all, all of the Wristman series. Uh, I wouldn't call all of the designs fantastic. Some of them are, are a bit of a bit of a miss because some of the others are so great and such a standout. Yeah, I'm so happy that these exist. So yeah, a hit for sure. Great stuff. And Alex? Another maybe for me, the execution on these is always impressive, but the kind of just the high number of different designs leaves me less and less impressed overall. Cool. A hit for me. It's a Minions watch. How could it not be a hit? Anyway, there we go. Right, that is definitely the end of the show. Uh, Alex, I I was going to say, tell us what you're doing this week, but presumably it's mainly day drinking. Drinking even earlier than normal. (laughs) And watching daytime TV. I didn't get to ask what the result was. We all, it was TikTok, right? This was shared with me. Uh, David saw it. I saw it, of course. Uh, I'm just curious what the results have been from what I'm guessing is a somewhat popular video or whatever you want to post? Um, a lot, I'd say it's kind of 50-50 between people kind of hailing me as a whistleblower, which I never even considered at the time, <laughs> and people saying I deserve to be kind of shot at, at dawn for uh, treason. So I think it's a, a fair mix. Can I can I ask what what you got out of it? Obviously, you had a particular desire to share some things like that, that's obviously not cool with the, the corporate environment you're in. But I'm just curious if you feel like you got out of it what it was that you were trying to accomplish. I don't know that I would say I've I had that much forethought to it. I mean, Richard's probably more aware that 
of my kind of story with Swatch Group and getting a first and final warning for the very first episode of the podcast back in 2020, which didn't kind of slow me down in any means about kind of putting my own honest opinion about watches across. It kind of it was a bit of a surprise probably for Richard as well that it took so long for them to get around to to firing me, but it wasn't part of any kind of great plan. It was more just part of the journey of me kind of going through the Swiss watch industry. I just wanted to say that from my perspective, I, I thought it was interesting. I'm not surprised by it. You know, these large um, European groups, watch group among them, uh, are, are not companies where outspoken people who say whatever they want are, are welcome. Um, these are relatively rigid institutions with a small number of official voices and opinions. And if you don't you know, follow along with those voices and opinions, you know, you're not really welcome there. There is a huge space in this um, in this area for opinions. Obviously, what we do at A Blog to Watch um, and, you know, the weekly podcast and everything like that is, is about it. So I think, you know, what I'm hearing is that you you just realize that your niche is something else, that that wasn't good for you as a good experience. Uh, but don't be discouraged by it. Just recognize that if you're working at one of the brands, you can't necessarily be outspoken. But if your heart is about sharing opinion, things like that, just need to find a different a different angle. I think for me, the, the, the trajectory of approach to the, the hobby uh, makes a huge difference in terms of it, whether it's enjoyable or frustrating. Uh, I guess I don't think I'm going to have to worry about um, thinking twice about what I say if I'm working for any big Swiss watch brands. <laughs> have to be. I can't imagine any Swiss watch brand would have anything to do with me right now, which has its own benefits, I guess, because lots of kind of little independent, I guess, watch workshops who aren't fans of the, the big Swiss watch machine have kind of voiced their support. So that's always nice to hear. It's sad that you have to like choose sides, right? <laughs> like we can't just be in it for watches. It's like all these like factions and ways of thinking. It's, it's, I mean, when I first got into this, I realized this isn't just watches. This is like, you know, uh, let's play the UN. It's, it's a very complicated thing. And, and by definition, you cannot please everyone. You simply can't. Very true. Well, we will do our best to try and please an entirely different congregation next week by having. Well, we'll get we'll we'll try and get somebody from Swatch Group on or something. Maybe Alex Petronius. Petronius, yeah, yeah. I think he's maybe persona non grata right now, but I'm just. No, I got bumped down to like the second for a minute. <laughs> I was like the most hated man in in Swatch Group, and then I get bumped <laughs> straight away to second place. I, 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 it was my fault for not mentioning that there were four people who had had a bad week at Swatch Group. I only mentioned three of them and forgot to mention yourself in that particular week. But it, it was it was like the week that Maurice Lacroix launched their uh, colourful, cheap, quartzy watch and then the Swatch group. Moon, Swatch came <laughs> out, Moon Swatch came out on the Thursday. <laughs> so it was a bit like that. I felt you, you were you were Maurice Lacroix to, oh, to the Swatch Group. Did you get, did you get one up? Is there some another scandal I don't know about? <laughs> No, no, no. So uh, Alex's news came out the same uh, week that uh, Omega's news came out that they had been scammed oh. at a particular auction. It yeah. was the, it was the same. Literally, Alex was the Monday and Omega was like the Tuesday or something, or Swatch was the Tuesday. So yeah, it was a bit of a similar bit of a similar vibe to the previous story. But there we go. Anyway, Alex, we can't find you working for Daniel Wellington anymore. But where can people find you on the internet? You should go and listen to the Robin and Regulator podcast, which currently is number three on Apple Podcasts, Bahrain, 
hobbies subsection just ahead of the superlative podcast in seventh place and a blog to watch weekly in eighth place so just thought i'd get that a, little add in it's a, it's a scandal it's a scandal to work no that's harder. a big audience out there okay we're gonna we're gonna move up the ladder <laughs> yeah <here. laughs> david where can people find you on the internet this week it's abtw underscore david and also on a blog to watch.com you can find my latest articles including the ones that we talked about on this podcast Excellent. Ariel, you're in France this week. Uh, what are you doing in France? I will be seeing some brand new Louis Vuitton watches. So a couple of months ago, we saw their high-end collection. Now we're going to see their more, um, I guess, standard luxury collection. And here's some updates what's going on there. I will also get to speak about the new uh, Gerald Genta brand, which was sort of just launched. So I'm interested to get some background news on what's going on at La Fabrique du Temps in addition to this Louis Vuitton stuff. Excellent. And as a wee highlight for what's coming next week, did you watch any good films in the plane on the way across? I saw Babylon, which was good. Watch content. Well, it takes place in yeah, there is. I mean, it takes it starts in the twenties in LA and it goes through the fifties. Uh, so the costumes cool. are great in there. Um, obviously, it's a little bit older stuff. I like seeing the big the big watches. You know, the little ones doesn't get me as excited. Excellent. Well, tune in again next week and we'll see if there's some a blog to watch watches, watches reviews. Alex, David, Ariel, belatedly, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you again, audience, for joining us as well. See you again soon. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye bye.